0: With the rise of artificial intelligence, or AI in the media, literature, and now the healthcare arena, it becomes critical for healthcare workers to have a basic understanding of AI and its potential for bias in the tools we utilize. Anytime data goes into a model, including medication information or patient-specific data related to those medications, the opportunity for bias exists. Today, I invite one of Mayo Clinic's pharmacist informaticists. Dr. Pooja Oja to review what bias in AI means and how we can ideally mitigate it through thoughtful construction of complex models.
1: The objectives for today will be to first describe what bias in artificial intelligence entails, discuss the implications of bias in artificial intelligence, and evaluate the mitigation strategies for bias in artificial intelligence. This outline will serve as a guide throughout our presentation. I'm going to start off by discussing an introduction to AI, then go into talking about biases related to AI, and then talk about uh, the implications of bias and the mitigation strategies as they relate to bias in AI. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was, why is this topic even important? There are two screenshots on the screen for you. Um, The first one is from pubmed.gov where I did a literature search just on artificial intelligence to see um, what the results were. And what I found was that in 2019, approximately 16,000 articles have been published related to artificial intelligence. If you compare that number to the 30,000 articles published in 2021, you can see how prevalent artificial intelligence is becoming in the literature today. On the other side of the screen, you can see a Google search I did on March 9th of 2022, where I searched artificial intelligence and healthcare. Here, I just clicked on the news tab of Google and found that within hours of my search, several articles had been recently published. So that goes to say that artificial intelligence is quickly becoming something that's being well talked about and well researched in the media and um, other research. So I think that it's a very relevant topic for today's discussion. So what is artificial intelligence? AI is where computer systems can embody a specific aspect of human intelligence or intelligent behavior, such as learning, problem solving, reasoning, and decision-making. AI um, can be based on two key concepts, either the knowledge captured and then the processing algorithm that is used to create the tool. AI is also categorized into several different categories you have machine learning, natural language processing, voice technology, and medical robotics. I'll dive into each of these topics in more detail. So machine learning is a system that trains a predictive model and identifies patterns from the data that's input into the system and uses that model to make predictions. There are four types of machine learning that are uh, most relevant to today's topic. There's supervised learning, unsupervised learning, reinforcement learning, and deep learning, and I'll talk about each of those in detail as well. So supervised learning is where a known input and a known output are used to create the artificial intelligence tool. In this situation, a system will receive a data set and it will be labeled with information that it needs to capture, and it's trained based off of that information and creates the prediction from whatever it is, whatever it learns. So some of the use cases of supervised learning would be in clinical decision support tools that support prognosis and mortality predictions. On the other side, you have unsupervised learning, where there is a known input, so the data is known, but it's not labeled well at all, it's not labeled at all, and it can serve in things such as pattern recognition and anomaly detection. In healthcare, we don't regularly see unsupervised learning because it is prone to error because it is not labeled and it does not know what we're looking for in terms of the output. So it can be a little bit more prone to error than supervised learning. Um, A common theme that you'll see throughout healthcare is a combination of supervised and unsupervised learning, which is known as semi-supervised learning. This is where some of the data is labeled, but not all of it. And that can help streamline the negative effects you might see from unsupervised learning but also it's not as stringent as supervised learning. Next you have reinforcement learning. This is where a computer interacts with its environment through a rewards and errors feedback loop that trains the system. This could be considered the ultimate self-learning approach because the system is not receiving any data input. And um, you may see the reinforcement learning be used in treatment optimization or robotic assisted surgery where the system will work with the feedback that it receives to optimize treatments. And lastly, we have deep learning, which is where large amounts of data are using layered approaches to analyze the raw data and then create the output or the prediction from that information. This can be seen in speech recognition, natural language processing, and pharmacogenomics. Natural language processing is our next type of artificial intelligence model. and what it does it is uses ex- information from descriptive data, such as a physician's note, to help improve diagnosis and treatment recommendations. Natural language processing can work in one of two ways. It can either comprehend human speech and extract meaning from that information, or it can map out concepts in data and documentation to allow for decision making. An example of natural language processing is presented here where the system is designed to identify if a patient has a history of DVT. In this system, a physician's note, such as the descriptive text listed below, will have something along the lines of history of DVT listed in there. And the system is trained using keyword recognition to find the words history of DVT or DVT within the physician's descriptive text note. And the results are presented below where you would have your subject, which is our patient, and you would get the certainty of positive or negative based on whether or not the fi- the tool found DVT as a history in the note. And then it will find the status of that. So this is a history of DVT as presented above, but it would differentiate between if the DVT is currently present or if it's a history. So that's where nat- natural language processing can come in and it can be used to identify from lots of descriptive text that we commonly use in healthcare data to find keywords and key pieces of information. Next, you have medical robots and voice technology. Medical robots guide treatment or surgical procedures using data that's analyzed from medical records. Voice technology uh, communicates with humans and makes it easier for people to obtain and use and understand their health information. And it helps to optimize the user experience by overcoming those text-based barriers that patients would normally encounter in their healthcare. So now that we've talked about how what artificial intelligence is, how does it actually impact healthcare? Well, it enhances the human functionality by providing tools that extend our capabilities. Humans and machines can work together to improve healthcare by improving cost, improving um, the automation that's associated with it, and really automating that experience. Currently, AI is implemented in many different places. And these are just three commonly seen areas of AI implementation in healthcare. You may see it used in electronic health records, where it's providing clinical decision support at the point of care to improve diagnostic accuracy and treatment recommendations. You may also see this used by technology companies that help provide patient engagement to support self-care. A good example of this is in hearing aids, where AI is being implemented so that it can, it can really pick out what sounds it wants to hear in an ambient environment. And you may also see AI used at specialized healthcare firms, where it supports research and evidence-based medicine. So what is automation, or artificial intelligence used for? There are a couple of very key tasks that artificial intelligence does. The first one is that it automates repetitive tasks so that you can help reduce cost of care and deliver value and optimize your health system performance. It can also make predictions, so once you've been able to train the data set to make those predictions accurately, you're able to improve the patient experience and support evidence based decision making. Something that's extremely important in the utility of AI in healthcare is balance. So we want to make sure we're using our artificial intelligence tools responsibly by embedding them into workflows that support the clinical decision-making process and help balance that care that people want with the need for automation that we have. So that's really the key point is that automation is a great tool, but alone, it doesn't really do anything. It has to be embedded somewhere useful in the workflow and it has to help people make those decisions. It can't make the decisions outright. So something that you might be thinking about is, how, can, how do we even develop these artificial intelligence tools? Well, there are many different ways and there are many steps in the process. But in general, um, you would identify a use case. So how are you going to create this tool? And what, what, why do we need this tool, really? And then you gather your data and prepare the data. In gathering the data, you select what information you think would be important and which data set you would like to pull from. And then you prepare that data to make sure that it will be ready to fit into the model that you select. Then you are to select a model. And then you um, go ahead and select a model that best fits your needs. You would have to train that model to make sure that it is um, able to evaluate the uh, information appropriately. And then once it starts to evaluate that, you are able to make sure that it's evaluating things correctly, the way you would like it to. And then it will predict um, what you're intending to predict. And then a good AI system will have feedback as part of the process, such that end users or Special users of the system are able to provide feedback that helps to improve the AI tool and uh, can help improve it in any way that it needs to be improved or pull out the uh, negative points of that system. So now we'll move on after our introduction to AI to talk about bias in AI. Bias is defined the systemic, systematic flaws or limitations in the design, conduct, or analysis of a study or tool. Based on what I just described in terms of the artificial intelligence process, you can see that bias will be incorporated at any point or might be a part of any point in that process. So it's not limited to just in the, when you're identifying the case or when you're just preparing the data. So it's very important to understand that bias does seep in at every portion. And it's our responsibility to identify that and be able to mitigate that. An example probably of where you might see bias in the data preparation process is where the preparer of the data does not recognize that they're excluding a certain lo- a certain group of people. Or when you're selecting the model, maybe the model is, is selecting a particular group of people over another or is excluding a particular group of people. And then in the feedback case, for example, you may see that Bias is seeping into whoever is providing feedback for the system, and that feedback is being incorporated into next iterations of that tool. So we are at our first question. Um, if you don't have it open, pull up your Poll Everywhere.com/mailrx uh, webpage, or you can text mailrx to two two three three three, and let's answer this question. At what step in the artificial intelligence development process can bias arise? A, data gathering, B, model selection, C, evaluation, D, feedback, or E, all of the above? Looks like we have about 20 responses. Um, So the correct answer is E, all of the above. As we mentioned before, artificial intelligence, uh, the entire artificial intelligence process can have bias in any step of the development points. Now that we understand that, um, I would like to present an article that I read earlier in March uh, that was published by the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, which is a governmental organization that uh, monitors bias and artificial intelligence tools. Their their article's title was, Bias in AI is more than just biased data. And what they'd say is that you should really think about the various areas of bias within your system. A lot of us are very quick to blame data that's flawed or biased data that is incorporated into our decision-making tool. What we don't think about is where do those biases come from? So they encourage you to think of the human and systemic biases that may exist in your artificial intelligence development process. Human biases can be coming from, mostly from data that's input into the system, such as when they're filling out the address form and it, maybe they input incorrect addresses or um, or they input incorrect information into whatever system you have systemic biases exist when there's bias against race gender age and that sort of concept so what I encourage you to do is think about other systemic biases that may come from sources that are not just the data but they're coming from people additionally there are several different types of biases as I spoke earlier, uh, AI tools are based on the knowledge that's input into the system and then the processing algorithm that's used to design the system. For knowledge bias, you may see experimental bias, reliability bias, limited expert knowledge, or lack of information. Experimental bias is where bias in the experiment leads to inaccurate outcomes. Reliability bias is where there's false or inaccurate data that is input into the system. Experts who are known to have knowledge within the topic of it itself and don't have that information are using whatever knowledge they do have to program the system, but it's not a full grasp of the knowledge can have limited expert knowledge and cause bias within that stream as well. And when there's a lack of information such as when the electronic health record may just not include all the information that's necessary. And then you have processing bias where you have bias in your algorithm or bias in knowledge used for feedback. If your algorithm is not appropriate for the decision-making tool, then it can be biased without it just being a systemic bias or a human bias. And when there's bias in the knowledge used for feedback, then there may be bias in the sense of, again, the feedback loop is biased, and then that is being iterated into following, uh, following iterations of that AI tool. Now I'll talk about the implications of bias in AI. the best way to understand what the implications of something are or by using examples so what i'd like to present first is the case of racial bias and healthcare ai this is where an algorithm that was widely used uh, was used to identify high-risk patients for a high-risk care management program this algorithm was designed to evaluate healthcare costs um, that were going into patients who needed the highest healthcare needs. And it was based on claims data from the previous year of the study, the demographics of the patient, including age and sex, insurance types, diagnosis and procedure codes, medications, and other detailed costs. However, this algorithm was most importantly, not accounting for race. So a group of investigators looked into this algorithm by working with a large academic medical center to identify 6,079 black patients and 43,539 white patients. 71% of these patients were enrolled in commercial insurance and 28% of them were enrolled in Medicare. This evaluation compared the algorithmic risk score to the data that was of a patient's comorbidity and tried to calibrate the risk for their health outcomes. So how sick are these patients as opposed to what is their healthcare cost? And they also evaluated how well the algorithm was calibrated for healthcare costs. So they were looking at sickness versus cost. And what they found was that black patients had greater illness burden, approximately 26% more illness burden than white patients. And, but they seemed to have similar healthcare costs based on the claims data that was used from the previous year. So what this group found was that that disparity exists in health conditions, but not in costs between black and white patients that were studied. So when considering the types of costs that were generated, they also found that black patients had more costs related to dialysis or emergency room visits, whereas the white patients in the study had more costs uh, from inpatient surgical procedures or outpatient specialists. So this went to show the evaluators of the study that there were disparities in what Black patients were seeking out as healthcare and what the costs were associated with. The group concluded that most of the patients that were studied were poor and faced barriers, possibly in accessing healthcare. They also said that although race was not a factor considered in the development of this AI tool, other things. Such as cost or doctor-patient relationships or trust in the healthcare system could be factors that are not directly linked to race, but may be more prominent in certain races compared to others. So, one of the main conclusions of this study was that the choice of labeling the algorithm is extremely important with and may lead to unrecognized bias. So this algorithm's choice of selecting cost as a tool for um, labeling in this system was uh, different and caused bias that was unrecognized because race was not incorporated into the development, that um, cost was not necessarily the factor that should have been selected for um, labeling. Instead, maybe discussing healthcare comorbidities from a comorbidity risk score, um, or that maybe a different factor would have been a better choice for evaluating this algorithm to produce less bias. So we're on to our second question, again on Poll Everywhere. In the case related to racial bias and artificial intelligence, what were the implications of utilizing cost as a measure of health risk status? A, limited representation for those who have greater access to healthcare, B, limited representation for those who have limited access to healthcare, C, increased cost for healthcare workers, or D, decreased cost for healthcare workers. All right, we have 17 results. And the correct answer is B, limited representation for those who have limited access to healthcare. One of the implications of utilizing cost as a measure for high high risk status in the group that was studied before uh, showed that those who had less access to healthcare, which in this scenario were the black patients, uh, they did have limited representation in the artificial intelligence tool. So I know we talked about, Racial bias in healthcare, but this is not limited to healthcare. So, something I wanted to highlight was that racial bias can exist in a lot of different areas of where AI is implemented, even outside of a healthcare system. So, this I present to you is a case of racial bias in criminal justice. In this situation, the Correctional Offender Management Profiling for Alternative Sanctions or COMPAS score evaluates a defendant's risk of committing a misdemeanor or a felony within two years. This is known as recidivism. And what the algorithm is, is based on 137 individual features of the patient and their past criminal record, but it does not include race as part of the algorithm development. The uh, group Engwin and colleagues studied 7,000 individuals arrested in Broward County, Florida from 2013 to 2014 to see if this was accurate based on different races and they found that overall, the accuracy for white defendants was 67%, and the black defendants was 63.8%. So, not very different in terms of overall accuracy. However, when they looked at patient, uh, black defendants who did not recidivate, uh, that were incorrectly predicted to reoffend at a rate of 44.9%, whereas for white defendants, this rate was 23.5%. And on the opposite side, those who were uh, predicted to not reoffend did reoffend in terms of black patients or black defendants versus white white defendants, at a rate of forty eight percent versus a rate of twenty eight percent for forty eight percent for white defendants and twenty eight percent for black defendants. So it was kind of flipped in terms of who was at risk for reoffending. This score appears to have been biased in the sense that it did over predict recidivism for black defendants and under predicted that recidivism for white defendants. And with this case, um, they're, they're still using this compass score in certain situations. But um, for example, the state of Wisconsin has found that after this study was published, they have, when they use the score to predict the case of recidivism, they do ask that um, the group keep in mind that there is a possible risk for bias. So they do try to publicly make people aware of what bias may exist when using this system for scoring. In addition to the other implications of bias in AI, one of the common considerations is something known as the black box effect. You may see this term come up if you're looking at other topics of a similar study. So I thought it was important to touch on it. So the black box effect is where the data and the methods that are used to train the AI model are so complex that it limits the transparency of that model. So you may have a complex process that is utilizing artificial intelligence. And when you try to investigate, how did this AI tool come up with this answer? You would not be able to identify that easily. So that's something that is still being worked through and might be something that you see later as you Progress in this artificial intelligence, and that as it becomes more apparent in healthcare. So, lastly, I wanted to touch um, in terms of implications of bias: is how does bias in AI affect people? One, it does reduce the, the anyone's ability to benefit from the AI tool. If you're being discriminated against, or you don't, you don't have, you're not represented equally within a tool, you may not benefit as well as somebody else might. For example, that Compass score, where the black defendants did not. Uh, did not benefit as well as the white defendants did. It may also cause a mistrust of the system. If you have a bad experience with an AI tool, would you trust it again? Probably not, because it's not giving you the, the answer that you were expecting or that you may have needed. So we recommend that biased, you know, we, we see this rather uh, where mistrust of the system exists due to older data sets having negative impacts on care and thus causing mistrust, or where technology is deployed where too early and it's not well tested, and that causes mistrust because it does not perform well. So that's something that's very important uh, in this process. It also leads to unfair outcomes for particular groups. So if you're comparing Black defendants versus white defendants in a um, in the criminal justice case, you find that Uh, white defendants were getting smaller sentences uh, as opposed to black defendants. So that led to unfair outcomes for black groups for similar crimes. Those are all very important topics, but I feel like the most important thing that bias can do in AI is that it can harm people. And in healthcare, that is the last thing we want to do. So um, bias in artificial intelligence, if it seeps in, can cause all of these problems. And thus, if it does not represent all groups equally as well, then it can cause harm to to patients or people that are not equally represented. So now we move on to talk about mitigation strategies. So how do we prevent this from happening in our systems? I think the most important thing to understand is what governance exists around artificial intelligence. In the United States, there have been several departments currently that oversee artificial intelligence. The Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, or ONC Health IT, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the National Artificial Intelligence Initiative Office are currently some examples of the groups that oversee uh, artificial intelligence. Last year, on January 1st of 2021, uh, the National AI Initiative Act of 2020 was launched. And this provided coordinated programming across the entire federal government to promote the research and application of AI to support the nation's economy and security. So uh, one of the organizations that does uh, help with managing artificial intelligence is the National Institute of Science and Technology, which I talked about earlier in this talk. And they recently published a draft of the proposal for managing bias in artificial intelligence um, in June of 2021. What they did was they broke down the various phases of artificial intelligence development and tried to talk about how is artificial intelligence uh, mitigated at each step. So it consists of three different phases, similar to what I spoke about earlier with the, with the uh, flow flowchart of the AI development process. You have the pre-design phase, which is where technology or AI tools are defined. Then you have the design and development phase, where technology or AI tools are constructed. And then you have the deployment phase, where technology or AI tools are used, and then feedback is provided. So we'll talk about each one of these steps in detail. In the pre-design phase, the um, main concerns are in the problem formulation and decision making, um, and the overselling of the tool's capabilities, trying to get that baseline foundation of what, what are we doing with this tool, and why are we doing it? The main um, practice recommendations that the NIST recommends is deciding which individuals will be making the decisions about the problem specification, background research, and identification of the data. In an operational setting, they, should, they also would like you to be aware of who may be at risk of any biases downstream from the creation of that tool. And they also recommend setting reasonable limits about the tool's capabilities. Don't oversell that artificial intelligence will fix every problem you have, but also remind the end user or whoever is being helped to create this tool that these are the limitations we have and really understand those boundaries. In terms of best practices, they recommend identifying any potential bias as early as you can and engaging a variety of stakeholders to do that. So having a large diverse group of people at the table will help you understand who, uh, have everybody's best interests in mind and have a variety of thoughts at the table. So that will be the first step of this three step process. The next stage is design and development. This is where technology is constructed. So here they recommend making sure um, that you're recognizing that those who are designing and developing the tools are not necessarily the end users of those tools. So they may be focusing on the optimization of the tool itself. So make sure it works perfectly and precisely every time. But that's not necessarily the end user's goal with the tool itself. So you should always remind them to think about the possibility that they don't want a perfect working system, but instead, um, keeping those different key aspects in mind about what the end user wants in the system itself. We wanna make sure that that's clearly identified and then also recognize that tools that are designed to use to be used in the system are making aggregate inferences about large, large sets of people and data. So uh, they may be making inferences on people based on memberships within specific groups. For best practices, the NIST recommends to monitor your tool extensively, make sure that it's tested extensively before it's deployed. The cultural effective challenge that they recommend is where you allow for a challenging of the model by the engineers or by whoever is designing the tool in order to rule out any statistical bias in that. They also recommend that um, you ask for transparency within your model. So you ask your AI practitioner to defend how they're going to use the model and why they're using it. And to work closely with subject matter experts who are the most likely the representatives of the end users of the product so that they're able to tell you why they want a specific thing a certain way. So all of those are key considerations within this step of the process. And lastly, you have your deployment phase where the tool is being used in real life. So here you, Uh, want to make sure that you're aware of any contextual gaps that may still exist. In the early development stages of the tools, you may have had a different thought in mind of how the tool is going to work. But as you have started to deploy it, you realize, oh, it does something else or it it is not really what we intended, but it has this kind of use case. So those are the kinds of things that come out after deployment. And so what you want to do is make sure that you're monitoring uh, the deployment and you're auditing that as well. And you're making sure that right before you deploy that you're looking at something called counterfactual fairness, where you're looking at the, um, how a decision was made for the one individual and how the decision would be made in a counterfactual world where the individual belonged to a different demographic group. This will help you weed out any bias that exists for specific individuals. And I know we touched a little bit a while ago about the National Artificial Intelligence Initiative. Um, So this is a very large initiative funded by the federal government currently, and it has lots of different components in it because it is overarching artificial intelligence. But one of the main goals is to advance trustworthy AI. This is where we're modernizing governance and technical standards for AI technologies to protect privacy, civil rights and liberties and democratic values. Trustworthy AI solutions um, have several key characteristics. They're accuracy, they're explainable, They're interpretable. They're secure, reliable, robust, safe, and fair. And this is a theme you'll see across the rest of our presentation. The Department of Health and Human Services has recently published a trustworthy AI playbook, which is not necessarily a formal standard or policy or nor a guide for how to publish AI solutions, but um, they do have key points that they highlight to manage and um, key questions that you should ask yourself as you develop or implement AI tools. So these will touch on things such as strategy and reputation, cybersecurity and privacy, the legal and regulatory aspects and operational considerations. We'll jump into the trustworthy AI playbook in a little bit, but it's really important to understand the key concepts behind trustworthy AI and what it is. Uh, you want to make sure that your tools are fair and impartial. This is to make sure that your tool is equitable across all participants, that it's fair, it's not excluding anybody and that sort of thing. You want to make sure that your tool is also transparent. I discussed the black box situation that could occur with AI tools and uh, we don't want that in our systems, so we want to make sure that relevant individuals understand how to use AI tools and how to make decisions with those AI tools. We also want to make sure that we're using responsible and accountable processes to create these tools. So we're outlining the governance, who is responsible for governing our AI solution. We want to make sure that the tool is safe and secure, such that everyone is protected from risks and harms that may arise from the tool. We want to make sure that data is also held in a very responsible fashion, such that privacy is respected um, and and data is not used beyond the intended use case. We also finally want to make sure that our AI systems work. We want it to be robust and reliable, such that all humans who are involved with this tool have the ability to benefit and learn from the tool and make sure that it has reliable, safe outputs. So going into each of the pieces of information, these are just some questions you should ask yourself to make sure that your AI tool is trustworthy um, and in line with the... uh, the recommendations from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So for fair and impartial uh, AI tools, you want to make sure that you're looking at the data, the problem formulations, the stakeholder needs, and the AI output. Does your data come from an unbiased source? How are you uh, framing the problem and translating the business objectives of that solution? How are you involving your stakeholders and making sure that they are a diverse group? And then also how are your models and outputs being used? Is it fair and impartial towards any specific group? In terms of the transparency and explainability of the tool, you wanna to make sure that it, the technical functional aspects, the security risks, stakeholder needs, and also the AI outputs are also considered all within this um, group. In terms of technicalities, have you documented all of your AI logic and model outputs to make sure that it is meeting the technical standards that you have set forth? In terms of security, have you communicated this information uh, about the model to stakeholders and make sure that everybody understands how this tool will be developed and used? In terms of stakeholder needs, who has an interest in the output solution? And have you engaged them to understand, to to have them understand what they need to know about the output? Can they trust your output? All of those things. AI outputs um, need to be comprehensible to the end user and also meet the explainability requirements I had just discussed. In terms of responsibility and accountability, you want to ask yourself the questions related to roles and responsibilities, digital identity management, traceability, and auditability. In terms of your responsibilities, are these clearly outlined for monitoring of your solution output? And have you obtained all your necessary approvals for uh, making sure your AI is responsible and trustworthy? Uh, In terms of digital identity management, have you considered the possibility um, of any adverse problems happening? Have you done the traceability to make sure that you understand how your solution arrived at its decision? And in terms of auditability, have you been able to understand if a third party were to come and audit your process, you have a clear explanation for how you're doing your AI uh, responsibly? In terms of safety and security, you wanna make sure that your systems are not vulnerable to outside sources or outside risks. So being able to understand the security risks and the impact of those, who has access to your training and your AI tool and what kind of access do they have? You can always limit your access So you can have different levels of access for certain tools. So uh, those are all things to consider and make sure your AI tool has received the proper clearance from any um, organization that it needs to receive clearance from. In terms of privacy, you wanna make sure that your data is encrypted and in in line with HIPAA standards generally. If your solution is about individuals, make sure that they're understanding how their information will be used. Usually in large data sets, the information is de-identified. So that's not necessarily always a concern, but if you are using individual data, then that's something you'd wanna make sure the end user or the patient or whoever it is is aware of their data being used. And you also should always consider the positive and negative between data privacy and releasing the data that um, you want for public good. Um, Maybe this is not something that you think of at a health system level, but you might think of this if you are responsible for the data um, release and uh, what data needs to be shared versus what uh, can be protected. So those are all kinds of things you would think about during privacy. And lastly, you wanna make sure that your systems are robust and reliable, that they're doing what you want them to do. You want to monitor any data drift or um, drift in the thoughts behind your AI models. So is it protecting against um, any sort of outside changes or is it changing after it's being deployed? Is your methodology sound? Um, Are you monitoring your model performance and are you making sure that it's sensitive to any variations of outputs that are coming out? Um, and you wanna make sure that it's consistent. It's providing your, your answers to the AI tool in a precise and accurate manner. Mm-hmm. So as a pharmacist, you might be asking yourself, like, what, what can I do? How do I help? Uh, the important questions um, that you should be asking are in the development of AI tools related to pharmacy, or which medications or therapy related tasks are appropriate for AI solutions to address? How are these AI tools being evaluated? And for each type of use case, which AI approach is the most appropriate. So think about those kinds of things. And you also want to establish best practices for validation and bias reduction. As a pharmacist, you've been taught definitely how to use the national and local standards. Um, so there are standards for artificial intelligence, but there are also um, guidelines and things like that where you would look at for uh, health-related conditions. So these are things that. It, I ask that you bring to artificial intelligence as well is understanding the risk of utilizing um, the AI activity, the stringency of utilizing AI, uh, but balancing that with the need for rapid innovation. And also, The validation standards will include definitions and requirements for the interpretability of any model that you use for the medication use process. So just always ask yourself these questions and keep these things in mind as a pharmacist when you're addressing bias in AI. The last question that I have for today is, who is responsible for mitigating bias in artificial intelligence? A, AI developers, B, the government, C, media, or D, the pharmacy department, or E, everyone. I'm seeing about 15 responses. And I see that um, most people have selected everyone. And a couple of people seem to have selected AI developers. So yes, I think everybody is responsible for mitigating bias and artificial intelligence. Um, the government does set the standards for mitigating bias and, and does have some general recommendations. The media is at fault for sometimes perpetuating biases. And um, as pharmacists, we just discussed how you can um, mitigate bias. AI developers are also responsible for mitigating bias in the sense of creating those tools. So my answer is everybody is responsible and has a part in mitigating bias in artificial intelligence. To summarize what we talked about today, uh, discoveries around AI are unfolding exponentially and have been over the last several years. Um, and AI is awesome. It has the po- possibility of doing so many things, automating our tasks, making predictions, saving time, and improving patient satisfaction overall. And that's really what's very important for our use cases of AI. But it's also important to recognize that bias exists in the world, and it definitely can seep itself into artificial intelligence tools. So it's very important as um, Healthcare professionals to evaluate the tools that you're using and critically think about how is this tool helping my patient and are there any potential biases within the tool that I need to think about and report those and discuss those and have open discussions about this topic.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.